What's going on, y'all? Welcome to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. Hope everyone is having a fantastic week. You couldn't have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. And for that, I am grateful. If you're even a little bit curious about investing passively in real estate, I encourage you to go to attorneybydesign.com, whether you're an attorney or not, and download the Freedom Blueprint and schedule a call with me. You'll be off to the races in no time. I can say this without a doubt, the things you see in here are not always what they seem, right? If you're on Instagram, it looks like everyone and everything is always perfect. Everyone looks like an extroverted supermodel, living their best life, owns half of Manhattan, and is on a never-ending trip through the Mediterranean. But we all know that's not true, and that's okay. It's okay to be introverted. In fact, it's okay to be a little bit stressed sometimes, a little bit lost sometimes. Life is not perfect. Our guest today, a self-proclaimed introvert and a deep thinker, opens up and shares his unique perspective and story, and even dives into how he left a thriving business and unplugged from the world for an entire year. We're also going to dive into how flipping houses could be passive. Jonathan Green has over 30 years of real estate experience, and he's a fully recovered attorney, a gallerist, a museum curator, educator, concierge agent, and certified life and real estate coach who left standardized employment to pursue his lifelong obsession with real estate investing full-time. His company, Streamline Properties, sources off-market deals and helps real estate investors who need agents who understand exactly what they're looking for. And now, on with the show. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. Jonathan Green, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate you having me. We're looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure, brother. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, let's just dive right in, man. Tell us about your story. You know, take it back as far as you want to. Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to passive income, I was learning from as small as you can be. My dad was uh, an attorney who got into real estate investing really early. So I was kind of the kid in the car on the weekends going to look at uh, junkie foreclosures and learning every basic financial principle that I didn't understand I was learning was what my dad was teaching me uh, from a young age. So uh, I had properties in my name from him from the time I was little. So I, I really was a participant in real estate from four or five years old on. Um, and I always tell a story. I used to, my dad, would, we would go look the old way, which is we track foreclosures through the courthouse. He knew people, we'd get leads, but there was no one in them at the time. There was no internet. So I, we would open a window. He'd push me through the window. I'd go open the door. I was like the little, <laughs> the little guy who could get through. Um, so I was really started on a journey of passive investing before I even really knew what it was. And then come to later find out real estate's not as passive as people think uh, until you know how to do it really the right way. Um, and then it's still not passive. You have to pay for that part. But um, that's really where I learned about real estate. And then I had a career as an attorney. I, I started as a prosecutor, did eight years of that. Um, 
two years as a criminal defense attorney. I was in the art world for six years. And then I, I had always been involved in real estate, like I said, and then I got my real estate license about seven years ago. Um, now I run a big team uh, in New Jersey. I have about 30 agents and I, I flip a bunch of homes and uh, counsel maybe 200 investors on, um, you know, like well, what to do with their long-term skills and uh, what they want to do with their money and what the best way is to use their money, um, which in this crazy market, it might be hold on sometimes and it depends on what deals uh, come in. Yeah. Yeah. That's quite the journey, man. I, that That's pretty awesome. You got an understanding of, you know, real estate as a business and, and learning from a young age at four or five years old, even if it did include a little bit of uh, a little bit of B&E, a little breaking and entering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the time it was just like, you know, my, my parents were divorced. So I would see my dad on the weekends and I, you know, I'd always be like, what are we doing? Why are we going to so many yard sales? And then I realized later, well, he's making an offer at every yard sale. And I was just like, I'm trying to get a football <laughs> or something. I just like yeah. want to get one thing. Um, but I think it's interesting, you know, I mean, you can come from any background and become a great investor, but I, I took everything and I didn't understand how much I was learning until I got older. Um, and my dad passed away when I was 33, but I had already begun the transition before that at about 18, 19 to start doing stuff on my own. Um, and that was stocks and everything too. He, he really gave me whatever X amount of money when I was young and said, try this in the stocks and monitor it, that. And I, I tried to take that and do the same, you know, with my kids as they get older, just to, to give them a little bit of freedom to see how it works. Um, and, you know, you have to be open to, to losing, to be a good investor. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Again, man, it's, it's awesome. You got exposed to that at an early age. I mean, most people have kind of have that aha moment, but it sounds like you didn't really have one of those kind of epiphanies. You, you really just learned it from, from a really young age and didn't have to have that, that button click. It, it was just part of your, your education growing up. Yeah. Um, and in some ways I was always investing, you know, we, we were managing properties that we had for my dad and I was doing a bunch of investing on my own, but it, it, I did have a different type of aha moment when I went to get my real estate license. Cause I was like, uh, and I told my sister and she said, why didn't you do this like 10 years ago? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, yeah, right. So for me, the transition to that and then building a team was kind of easier, uh, fortunately than, than others, because I, ha I had knowledge of everything about real estate. And then it was about transitioning to you know, quote sales, but I'm a horrendous salesperson. I just build relationships. <laughs> the rest, you know, works itself out. Um, but yes, yeah, so I did have that, but you're, you're right. I think I, uh, I'm sure when I was younger, I took parts of it for granted, but then I think it kind of clicked in when you get to an age where you like into learning. And I was like, okay, my dad knows a lot of stuff. <laughs> like he knew a lot. And I still go back to a lot of stuff that he taught me uh, every day now. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything that happened during your legal practice where you're like, all right, I've, I've really had enough of this. I've got to, I'm going to transition over to something else. Yeah. I mean, you know, being a prosecutor for eight years, I moved between two offices in the state of Florida and they were busy. So I was doing, you know, high-end cases. I was in a specialized sex crime unit for a year in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, and I think, you know, I had kids, you know, I had kids while I was still doing that. And uh, doing that. I, I love the job. I love doing trials. Um, but day in and day out, just working in the criminal system was tough. And then I, I transitioned to criminal defense. Um, and I just didn't want to bring that home with me every night, you know, files and thoughts and all the things and being responsible for um, other people, you know, potentially going to prison. It was just, it just had become enough. And the, it, it actually, the, the, the transition was when my dad passed away, 
Um, you know, he was a lawyer. He loved that I was a lawyer. He wasn't a trial attorney and I was. So he kind of like really liked that I was a trial attorney. He come watch me. And it was, you know, after he passed away, I'm like, I just realized I don't need to do this. I've created other wealth from real estate investing and, and other investments. And now I can go uh, and do a choice, which at the time was the art world and then eventually became real estate full time on, on both ends. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I can imagine that's pretty mentally taxing kind of being in that, that world or that side. I mean, I I'm a real estate attorney, so I didn't have to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, it, it was a pretty easy transition from real estate attorney to real estate investor. Sounds like yeah. that again, it's kind of a, a mental thing. It probably takes its toll. It did. I, I think it takes a toll on your just general well-being. And I think, you know, at the time, you know, I, yeah, I was married at the time. Eventually I, I got divorced. And I think you just there's just pressure of, of you know, having young kids and, and being a good parent and figuring out how to be a parent. And then you're taking that with, you know, 75 to 90 hour weeks and like, you know, life sentences hanging over. It's just <laughs> a lot. And I, I wasn't taking care of myself well at the time, just, you know, physically, I was just overworking, I was tired. And um, I think over the years, when I transitioned out of that, I became to uh, more comfortable with like self care and self awareness. And over the last maybe five to seven years, um, I've really adjusted my life to, to be much calmer. I've always been kind of like a flat line in the personality, but uh, the, the calm part of me, like day to day, you know, negotiating isn't calm. It's like, every, it's always contentious. Um, and real estate obviously can be too, but the way that I look at it now in real estate is like, well, I mean, nobody's going to prison. So like, this really isn't that bad. You know, right. when a transaction fails, what's the big deal? There's more real estate. It's not a finite asset there. It's everywhere. So um, that helped a little bit <laughs> over time, but it was, it was a lot. Uh, I miss the fun of trials and my colleagues, but I don't miss anything else about it. That's it. That's it. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me about the, that transition. So you went into the art world for six years. What, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> and how did you yeah, get I, from the art world to real yeah. estate? Yeah. Uh, so I, I opened a, a hybrid gallery boutique with my ex-wife at the time in, in Sarasota, Florida, in this artist colony, super cool building. We remodeled the building. It looked really, really cool. And that's where I started to really get back my kind of ability to flip um, and then that morphed into two other galleries in Sarasota. Uh, so at one time I had a, a couple going and I eventually moved the gallery to New York City. Uh, unfortunately, I was under contract on a lease in the three-year lease in the city right when the economic downturn happened in 2008. Mm -hmm. I continued with it, moved to the city, ran my gallery on the Lower East Side of New York for one year, lost a ton of money <laughs> just because everything, you know, no one's buying art in 2008. Right. It's like the, right. the last thing that you want to buy. Um, and then I moved on from there. I was a curator at the Hunter and Art Museum. Um, and then I also um, did, uh, ran a museum management program as an advisor at Montclair State. And I ended up teaching art law hybrid, which was interesting um, while I ran that program at Montclair State. And then from there, I got my real estate license because that wasn't like enough time, even though I was you know, I was pretty free in what I wanted to do at the time. And that started the transition that, you know, has gone to, uh, to now, but that also included like a full year off from real estate because it just became too much. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. You're a Renaissance man. <laughs> I try, I, I think I really learned uh, from my dad, you know, a lot. I mean, so much. Um, and part of that was to, to be okay with, 
addressing my own freedom and understanding. I've always been very careful with money. He taught me well. I never wanted to be somebody who like, my dad came from nothing. My dad's dad wasn't like an alcoholic gambler. Uh, so he would get like a car and then it would get repossessed. So for me, I learned well. Um, I was fortunate though, and I, I can never walk away from that. I appreciate everything uh, that he did to me. And I think by doing it this way uh, and also not you know, trying to like kill myself to stay in as a lawyer when I just didn't, it wasn't in me anymore. Uh, through art, I understood that creativity really is something that lifts me up inside. And that took me to the part of real estate where now I can, you know, flip and I really get a lot out of flipping, even if I don't make a ton on the property, like it just fills me up. I, I really like it more than the money, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I so like what's your, money. Well, yeah, you like, <laughs> exactly. I think you can like both. <laughs> so what's that, what's that current business look like? What kind of real estate investing are you doing? Um, so, I mean, we maintain properties that we've had for years and now I'm just flipping, you know, one or two houses at a time, no major, like not trying to build an entire flipping uh, montage or, or count a number of doors. I'm very like kind of opposite what I think traditional like real real estate investment scaling is like. Everybody wants to talk about how many doors or how much money they're making. And I don't, I have a great real estate team that I built uh, my current company after I took the year off and it's based, uh, we're billed as invest investor friendly. Uh, we do work with all types of uh, clients, regular sellers and buyers, but we counsel investors on how to invest. I do three uh, Zooms a week with real estate investors on Clubhouse a lot, just giving basically free advice all the time on what to do because it's ever changing. And I've learned a lot. And every time I go on an inspection, I learn something else. So I flip one or two houses at a time. Uh, my best friend, Jenny, is, is my project manager. She flips one or two houses at a time. So together, we really always have two, three projects going on. Um, and then our real estate business with my 30 agents, you know, we run a decent amount of transactions, but we really started that team during COVID and have just grown it since then. Um, and I built the team that I, I should have built the first time. I built it now. It keeps me calm. It's not as stressful uh, as it was, but I needed the year off to understand uh, team building in the real estate space. Um, and you know, from, from being in, in the business, um, you know, the majority of agents aren't good. There's no way around that. You know, that's the public perception. And to be honest, it's true. It's because the bar to entry is very low. So working right. with the best is great. Uh, and when you find those, you really take pride in, in what you do, but not everybody in the business on all ends of it, it does, including the real estate investing. And there's terrible investors, terrible wholesalers, um, and they make it harder for those of us who like to, you know, touch all the boxes and do it correctly. But um, yeah, that's how it looks now. And I, you know, like I said, flipping for me is really like an aesthetically pleasing thing, but it also fills me up from a, I like watching a house go from bad to good. And I like making choices that are not cookie cutter. Like both Jenny and I do not flip for everybody. <laughs> like everyone's not gonna like my flip and that's the way I want it. I would rather, I learned it from the art world. I'd much rather have somebody fall in love and be the only person who wants it than to have a bunch of people say, oh, it's okay. I mean, that's just like, slap me in the face. That's the worst. I just don't want that. It's okay. You know, it's just, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I share in your, your passion for it, man. I I'm trying to get away from the flipping. Like I, I don't want to have those transactans. I'd rather just buy yeah. something, uh, an apartment complex and just hold it forever or, yeah. you know, do, do something bigger, but there's something about, you know, turning that house into something beautiful and a home for somebody to live in and looking at that finished product, no matter 
you know, how many headaches you had along the way with contractors. It's just like, Oh man, look at that. That is, that's beautiful. That's just the way that I wanted it. And it, it's yeah. difficult to, to get away from that. I get it. And I, I mean, the ancillary benefit for me because I'm licensed also and because I do off market on market, I do all parts. It's that when, when I flip, it's not just profit specific for me because so when I pick a property, I buy it well and I flip and I make X, whatever my spread is, I'm getting more ancillary benefits because I'm documenting the flip, you know, on social or on YouTube. And then I'm also getting a great listing of a flip property, which is mine. That helps me get more listings, <clears throat> helps me build my brand. So I get ancillary benefits. So if I make, you know, I, my minimum that I want to make on a flip is 50. If I make more, great. Even if I make less, maybe I find two people who want us to help them flip doing project management or, you know, they, they want to look for new listings or give me listings. So, um, you know, I think uh, holistically, I look at things a lot different than I did before. Uh, and with the way that everything transitions and social media is so prevalent, you really have to be in like a long-term growth mindset or else you'll never be satisfied. You know, you'd quit it. We, you know, we would quit all flips after two weeks because everything goes wrong. Oh, I quit. <laughs> you know, you just have to know, like I have vision to get to the end. And as long as there's ancillary benefits for me, then I feel like comfortable when things go wrong. I don't freak out, uh, yeah. which helps. Yeah. Have, have you gotten to the point now where you've built out your team enough where it is somewhat passive? I mean, flipping is not going to be passive, but at least to the point where somebody else can make some decisions for you or, or, or what's uh, that look like? <laughs> no, definitely no. But I would okay. say the, the smartest thing I ever did was bring in my best friend, Jenny, uh, in the middle as a project manager. She's a great flipper on her own, but I, I particularly needed a buffer. I'm aggressive and I, I can... I'll see something on day one and be ready to fire a contractor, plumber and everybody. So by bringing her in the middle, she knows more than them. And she knows way more than they think because, you know, contracting real estate business is pretty ripe with sexism, um, but it really helps to have a buffer. So that's kind of the beginning of growing out. And on the team, I have a team success manager, which again is another buffer, um, but I'll still need to put in more buffers to grow out to what I would call CEO model, which is me pulling the pieces and not having as much in the day-to-day. -day. Um, but with flipping, I really do like the day-to-day, -day, but I don't show up at the flips every day. I, I have a great contractor now um, and I show up once a week and I, I get blown away. Like, wow, this looks great. I don't like to go every day. Cause like, sometimes you don't like nothing happened cause you don't yeah. see it. So if I go once a week, uh, even if it's nearby, I, it, it helps me uh, adjust. So I haven't reached the, <laughs> the super passive part of it. Um, but I think I will in maybe an appropriate way because I still like the products. I like to touch them and see them. Um, I don't want to be so uh, divested from it that I, it's just, I don't, I don't want it to be that passive for me, but yeah. I'd like it to be less of a headache. <laughs> we all would. Right, right, right. Yeah. What, what markets are you in? Uh, so I'm generally, I'm in the Essex County in New Jersey. That's where I'm generally doing stuff now, but we own properties in New York, uh, California. We've owned stuff in Florida. Uh, and I really look in all my markets across the country. I build funnels through my team and through a bunch of investor events so that uh, if we have investors who are interested in other models, we line them up with the best investor friendly agents in those areas. Uh, we do the vetting and we follow up to make sure we're giving not only a warm referral, but we're part of the process of that referral as well. And then we look to see if those markets are open for us. So like if I'm looking across the country and somebody says like, you know, brings up hot markets, those are of no interest to me because it's too late. 
Uh, like, mm. sure, I mean, I'd like to invest in Austin too, but I'm like seven years too late, if not more. Right. So I'm looking for like, you know, the, I, what I do is I put a circle around the hot area and then I look for two towns in each direction and I'm looking at those second towns to see if they've developed the same way or if they're next and try to research the, you know, development and for cities you're researching gentrification trends and what will be resistant or non-resistant to gentrification to try to figure out uh, where the next spot is. But I'm currently in Essex County and I'm moving shortly to Morris County. And I never thought I'd be in New Jersey. I grew up in Brooklyn and then moved to California. Um, uh, but I, now that my kids are older, I, I like it more than I thought I would. So I like being close <laughs> to New York, but um, I think I'll be here for a little bit longer. I was going to go out West, but I, my team's going well and I, the taxes are high, but there's other benefits to being here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, being that close to New York city helps. And you know, if you're happy where you're at, why change it? Yeah. I, I think I had to get through a lot of just, you know, personal growth myself and you, you know, I just turned 50 this year. And I, I think since my forties scaling up into the mid forties, I really adjusted a lot of things about myself that have helped me um, look at life differently. And hitting 50, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm on the backside now. So I really have to appreciate more stress less and, um, you know, pay attention and be mindful of what I'm investing in as well. Is it, is it completely passive or does it actually bring me some joy also? Um, and I want that as well. Stocks are great, but I don't look at them and like, Ooh, it's pretty. It's just, it's just money. I like, you know, from the art world, I like to look at stuff that's pretty. So obviously I have a lot of art too, which is another kind of investment that's scalable, but not usually for someone like me, not going to sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's rewind a little bit. I want to go back to something that you, you had mentioned about finding kind of a good agent because there's so many of them out there. I mean, how do you, how does one, how does an investor go about finding one of these good agents, one of these investor friendly agents? Yeah. Great question. I mean, bigger pockets is a great place. I, I I'm on there all the time. I make maybe 10, 20 contacts a week off of there. Uh, it's not perfect though, because everybody can post whatever they want, but investor friendly agents aren't always on, you know, your frontward facing sites like Zillow and realtor.com, because if you're working generally off market sellers or you're in a modified wholesale, uh, you're not really that worried about how you're gonna look uh, be best of Zillow, which we are any also, but we do all the things. So I think it's really uh, relational. Uh, we have a great uh, real estate agent in Philadelphia that we have, I think, 13 to 20 referrals out to now. Uh, and we got his name from another investor. Investors are the ones who know who the best agents are. So what I do is set up a chain of investors from state to state, find out who they use. And then I personally vet them before I send them to everyone. I'll have a call, ask them how many deals they do. So, I mean, if you're an investor looking for an agent, you do not want an agent who's never uh, has doesn't own anything. It's just very difficult to understand. They may be okay in learning, and I think that's okay also, um, but they really have to be a participant in investing forums to understand what you're looking for. Um, all investors will tell you this. I'm sure you know this as well. When you're before, you know, you could kind of vet people online. We would go see properties and we would ask investor questions like, what's the rent roll? If you're looking at commercial, what's the cap rate? And they just like blank stares at you. And they can't answer those questions or they don't like spreadsheets or can't tell you what to do, uh, what the appreciation values are. They're not going to help you make the best investment. So we even do that for our primary buyers and sellers because we look at everything as an investment, even when it's an emotional thing, 
we're still trying to vet it for them. Like, okay, this may be emotional, but is this still also a good investment? Uh, because in a hot market, you have to pay up to get it. We still want to make sure they know what this is going to look like, you know, in about five years, uh, if they're going to be able to get appreciation, which to me has been my biggest uh, moneymaker over years is just appreciation, not cash flow. Right. Yeah. I mean, you should invest for both. I mean, really, if, if, if you just have a little bit of cash flow too, eventually it's going to catch up with yeah. you. There's going to be a big CapEx hit or something like that. And it's all exactly. going to get wiped out. You've got to, like you mentioned earlier, find those, those markets that are going to be gentrifying and, and where you can get some natural appreciation and over the long term, that's, that's where you're going to get the big jumps. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, my best investments have, have all been personal homes that I lived in and you'll find nobody in real estate investment saying, buy a home, enjoy it. And then in five years, cash out. That's what I've done multiple times. Uh, I, I know how to buy in areas that are haven't hit it yet, or I know how to find good deals and I, I can renovate so I can do that. But you know, my last home in Montclair, I lived in it for six years. And then when my kids were old enough, we, we moved out uh, and then I flipped it. So I do, you know, people talk about the Burr model. I prefer the reverse Burr, which for me is just reversing the two R's instead of um, rehabbing, I would buy rent. Uh, if I'm, if it's an investment property for a primary, I would buy and live in it the way it is if it was good enough. And then at the end, I've already gained that appreciation. So then when I do the flip, I'm going to gain even more off the back of it instead of flipping it and then putting the wear and tear on it um, during the time frame. So um, just a little bit of a different model, but I like them all. Yeah, I love that, man. I love that little spin on it. Um, let me ask you this. Why do you think it is that there's so many, there's so many real estate agents that are in the, you know, they're in the real estate business, you know, they're, they're transacting and they just, they don't even think about investing in their own product. Like it's crazy to yeah. me how, how many people are like that. I mean, I feel like they should be looking from day one at, at each property. Like, is this good enough for me? And if not, then I'll sell it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple things. Um, mindset. You know, I think a lot of people aren't built with the mindset that they that it's okay to take some stuff for yourself uh, along the way. Um, and I, I think that it's, you know, I, I built my team to help them all become investors. We bring on investors to my team who are licensed and they don't work like a regular agent. They work on the back end looking for investments. Um, and I, I have no idea why people with access wouldn't use it to also learn more about investing. And some of it is, People get into real estate thinking it's going to be easy as an agent. And then they realize quickly, like, it's not that easy to make a lot of money. Like only like 5% of agents do well. So mm -hmm. when you can't make the money and you're in a non-W2 job, like you can't really qualify for the funding. And the majority of people don't want to take the time to understand the funding options or make bad decisions, use hard money, get over leveraged and don't understand. So uh, part of it is capital. And I think part of it is, is just a mindset base where it's like, you know, what I always say to, to my agents is that you're running your own business. It's not a job. And I think a lot of real estate agents just think of it as a job. You know, I'm going to go punch this out, you know, what we call commission breath, which is just getting super hopped up over just like one commission instead of thinking like, well, this client could refer me to three other clients, even if the deal dies, because I didn't try to pressure them into to closing a deal. Um, so I think it's a, it's a hybrid of both of that. And again, most real estate agents don't make money. I mean, they don't, but it's just a very small percentage that do really well um, in the business. And now that's flooded with teams for, for better service and, and more streamlined design, I think. Yeah. Does, does a lot of your education that you produce and, 
and you know the the message you put out is it focused on agents and teaching agents how to invest uh no both both i okay. mean it's really suited for everybody um but okay. i i love the idea of investors getting their license I, I i met a lot of people who i brought on my team who were investors first and i said well, why don't you have your license and they said well i don't really want to do that you know full time i don't want to be a buyer's agent i said yeah but what if your what if your parents want to sell their eight hundred thousand dollar house do you want bob and sally from down the block who've been doing it 30 years and do bad marketing sell it or do you want to learn how to do it and then that helps them adjust to um, what it's going to be. So I think we we look at it as I want to build agents, but I, I love helping brand new investors not lose their money. It's the one of the most important things to me is just I, I see so much bad advice out there that's like, go, 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 get into it, which I understand the mindset behind it is like, don't get into uh, analysis paralysis, but like people make really bad decisions because they they want something, you know, you don't need a real estate investment, you want it. And if you mm -hmm. want something, why would you take the time to make sure that it's carefully vetted? Um, and it's tough right now, the markets are tough, but that's the best time to passively wait and, and save your money. More capital means more options, but you know, people are rushing, <laughs> rushing to do everything these days. And sometimes you just gotta like pump the brakes and relax. Yeah, yeah, there's that balance, man. I mean, you, you've, gotta, you've gotta take the time to get educated. And then at some point you've got to feel confident enough to, to find a deal and pull the trigger, but there's a delicate balance there as to when that, that hump occurs and when you get over that hump. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the, the reason why people really get into analysis paralysis in real estate is because they don't look, they just do data analysis. They're like, Oh, I ran, I I've, I've looked at a hundred properties this month. And I said, well, how many did you see? Well, none, I didn't go to see any of them because it doesn't make a difference. If you're just running numbers until you see what those numbers see, smell, uh, feel and look like in person, it's just a video game. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. And then when you start to see like, wait, 200,000 in this town looks like this, 200,000 in the next town looks like that, completely different, but one can be worth 500 and the other can be worth 300. If you don't know these things, you can't be an investor, you're gonna lose your money. And it, it's not, again, it's not easy to learn those things. It takes time, uh, it takes neighborhood research, uh, and, and understanding what's happening in towns. Um, and again, it's just not for everybody, but that, but that doesn't mean it excludes anyone. Anyone can be a real estate investor. You do need capital to get in, but you need the knowledge, I think, way before you need the capital. For sure, for sure. Let's switch gears a little bit because I wanted to yep. jump in this before we, before we leave you, man. What, you know, that year where you completely unplugged, um, you lived a, a minimalist lifestyle. Tell us about kind of what, what triggered that journey and, and what did you learn? Like, you know, what are some of the takeaways from that? Yeah, I appreciate it. I, uh, I, I had, I built a, a big team with a partner and it just, it, it wasn't working. I didn't build the team the right way. Um, and I just had a system set up that was driving me crazy. I, I failed to put uh, adequate boundaries in my life from business and my phone would ring from six in the morning to, to midnight. And I, I just remember sitting at the uh, kitchen table, you know, and the phone just kept ringing at dinner. And I heard myself say uh, to my kids, I really have to take this. And I just still, it still sticks in my head. Like I did not need to take this. Why would I be taking a call when I'm eating dinner with my kids? And I, that was like a crystallizing moment. Um, I walked away from the team partnership um, and just quit real estate, stopped investing other than what I already had going, uh, took an entire year off and just basically went uh, inward. I read a hundred books, uh, was just 
trying to figure out, I wasn't in any distress, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say I was happy, but I wasn't like depressed. I was just, I would say not like midlife crisis, but just like a little lost uh, personally and wanted to figure out, you know, what, what I wanted to do going forward. And then I honed in on the parts of real estate that I was good at. Uh, and during that time, I just, you know, I got super into meditating and uh, kind of uh, personalizing my daily schedule. Um, I keep track of every single thing that I do, meditation, reading, learning. Um, I was just like, I've watched 33 masterclasses and people think it's crazy. They're like, why do you need to learn all that? I'm like, well, I just like to learn stuff. I feel like I know a lot and can, I, I just like to learn. Like, they're like, why do you watch the Chris Hadfield master place, uh, master class on space. I'm like, well, you should watch it because it's awesome. You'll understand why um, afterwards. I don't think I appreciated learning as much uh, growing up. And now I, it just, you know, like other things, it fills me up and clearing the time to focus so much on myself just left me honestly a better person, more well-rounded and helped me be, you know, a better parent and understand and give my kids the freedom to grow up. They're 19 and 17 now. And you know, it's hard to not be like overprotective, uh, especially given my background as a prosecutor. So I, you know, I, I'm still working on it. But I, I needed the year to uh, come to grips with myself. Uh, and, you know, I, I logged off of all social media. I was still on Instagram, but I never posted, but I deleted everything else. So now for business, I kind of had to build it back, but almost begrudgingly. I still do enjoy Instagram. <laughs> I think it's valuable, but um, I don't really enjoy anything else. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm started. I mean, YouTube's going now, and I think that's going well. Uh, it's new, but uh, I, I like honest content. And I think that a lot of us in business, whatever business you're in, you get in the cycle of kind of like just making content to make content or doing this because you want a lot of followers. And then when you look at it, you're like, well, the following means nothing unless they really like you. It's the, you know, thousand raving fans. Like, what do you want? You want raving fans or people who just click the button? And I stopped caring about basically <laughs> everything. My agents all make fun of me because I always say, I literally do not care about a lot. And it doesn't mean that I don't have deep cares about people uh, or things going on in the world. I do. It's just that I realize like myself, I am so tiny in the, the space of the universe that it's almost embarrassing for me to think like I'm of some giant value to anything. I'm just a speck of dust. And I think I got really philosophical in that year, <laughs> but it helped me to like put my place in just nothing really matters that much, you know, in, in 200 years, are even my relatives, relatives going to remember who I was? I mean, probably not. They'll see me on a family tree. And when you get to that, I just think it freed me up to to become the best version of myself, which again is always developing. I don't think I think I've succeeded at any point. Brother, that that perspective is awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm happy you were able to kind of step away for a year and, and get that clarity by meditating and learning and just kind of just zoning out and just focusing on yourself. That, that's awesome, man. It's awesome. I think it's hard in the world to just like set aside time to just like read a book. You know, people are like, oh, well, I'll listen to an audible and I'll do it on 2x. And I was doing that during the year before. <laughs> And I'd say like, oh, I, I read all these books this year. And then I was like, but I can't remember anything from any of them because they were going too fast. So I mean, I even de-speeded my Audible and now I only listen to fiction on Audible because I like it and at 1x and podcasts, I'm at 1x also because I, 
I, I don't know why I wanted to get through so much because I, I wasn't taking it all in. I mean, sure, I was hearing it, but I wasn't taking it in. And now I think that slow pace of life, which will go to something I know I'll answer one of your questions at the end uh, with, uh, it just makes me soak it up more. And again, still imperfect, but I think I, I think I'm building on it every day to build that you know, better, better life as I go, go over this hill of 50. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. I mean, even through, even through just the zoom call, I can feel like your calm demeanor, like you're very level-headed. You're very just right here. You've got, you seem like you've got it, got it figured out, man. I love it. As much as I can, I can, you know, I yeah. think I, I just like to try to go with the flow and it comes from somebody, I was extremely rigid. I mean, I was one of the most rigid people uh, ever. Everything was a problem. I couldn't do this. And now I've adjusted, like I'm an introvert. I have to accept that. I don't like parties. I don't like crowds. I don't want to be around a ton of people. I'm not comfortable around strangers, but it doesn't mean I'm a bad person or that I can't be a good communicator. I just have to start to accept my own personal boundaries and not put myself in those positions. And by doing that, it's helped me grow as a person, but also helped me grow my team. I grew my whole team on Zoom. You know, we were in COVID, <laughs> we're building a team. And then I'm like, you know, I see someone in the person for the first time and they're like, it's weird, you know, but now I have a level of comfort with them where I do want to be around um, a lot of them. But I, I have to accept that, you know, I never thought of myself as an introvert or, um, you know, growing up, but now knowing it, I can protect myself from myself and putting myself in positions where I know I'm not going to enjoy it. So why would I do it? Right, right. I mean, you know, there's this, there's a certain uh, good thing to kind of push your boundaries, but at the same time, don't push yourself so far where it's like, you're just completely always uncomfortable and just always not being yourself. You still need to be true to who you really are. Yeah. And I, I want to grow. I always want to grow as a person, but like, I don't like heights. So for someone to say like, Hey, you got to skydive. I'm like, I'm never going to skydive. Like that's not, you know, somebody's thinking, well, I like it, but like that I scared, like, I don't yeah. want to do that. I'm going to have a heart attack. So uh, I'm more, you know, like we've been talking about, I think I learned that I, I want to go inward much more than outward, but that going inward so much helps me be better outward because I'm giving myself the personal self-care to be able to then deliver it to other people. I'm not very empathetic as a person, but because I care for myself more, I'm able to adjust to be more empathetic. It gave me the space to really meet people without feeling that kind of uncomfortable part. Uh, like I don't like small talk. It really drives me crazy. It's why I'm not good at parties. I don't like the kind of BS dialogue. I just want to cut to the chase. Um, but, but I think I learned during that by developing and nurturing relationships not too quickly um, it helps me be open and much more engaged in those relationships as I find which ones, you know, stay the course of time. I mean, you know, with a lot of things, like I didn't date at all for a couple of years because I think I needed to reset my expectations on that as well. You know, just like every part of life, everybody's trying to move so fast, you know, and I was part of that. I want to get more followers or move this relationship faster, have my business scale faster. Everybody talks about scaling, but uh, I don't like any of that anymore. I want to do things that slowly grow. Um, but I think because I can look long-term and I think people who are, are failing a lot are just because they look short-term and then the short-term explodes and there's, there's nothing left. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man, let's jump into the freedom Four. it's time for the freedom Four. what's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy. Uh, it's 100% uh, meditation. 
I also hit the Peloton uh, every day in all aspects, but like meditation has changed my life more than anything else. And I think people think that you, everybody who meditates like sits, you know, in perfect lotus pose and perfect quiet. And I've really adjusted out of that. I meditate for 30 minutes every morning without fail for almost 1500 straight days. And some days I, I, it's early, I wake up five, six, and so I'll scroll on my phone. It's not perfect, but I'm always doing the intake and I'm always doing it. Sometimes I'm just sitting, um, but that in and of itself has helped me just do like aimless walks better. I just consider like the majority of my life as a long-term meditation now, and it's completely calmed me down. You know, when something happens and every day I start with 30 minutes of meditation, I just feel so much better later. That's perfect, man. What's one life hack or piece of technology you use to be your most productive self? Uh, I am old school. It's actually Google Sheets. Um, I go. keep track of literally everything that I do. So I have a Google Sheet with seven or eight things on it, reading how many minutes I read, meditate, uh, hit the Peloton, how much I work out, uh, how many push-ups I do, um, and a couple other things. And even uh, when I'm writing, I keep track of how many words I write a day. Um, and I have like 10 Trello boards for everything. Uh, I think it's just tracking and that helped me with personal accountability. Um, and that helps me help others with their personal accountability, but it's spreadsheets all the way. I'm so obsessed with them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom, flexibility for themselves? This is going to sound, I guess, antithetical, but I'm actually going to say to pump the brakes or relax a little bit. I think that right now, everybody wants to push everything forward so fast, like we were talking about, you know, get, get somewhere quicker or do it. Uh, and I don't think they're looking wide enough because I didn't. So I would actually say, I think everybody needs to take a step back and maybe look at an aerial view of their life and see, is this the map that's going to get me to where I want to go? Most of the time, it's not. Uh, and you can adjust the pieces along the way. But instead of pushing people forward, like I know for me, like just like sit and watch the grass grow and you'll get a lot more out of your brain than you would trying to buy another product that's going to get you somewhere on that. I love that, man. It's, I think it's more, it's all about perspective, right? Just keeping kind of that, that perspective in mind at all times and not just getting caught up in the next thing and going faster, <laughs> faster, faster. Yeah. All right. Last but not least, how has passive income made your life better? Uh, freedom. I mean, it is freedom. And I think a lot of people are, are chasing freedom. Again, I mean, I was really fortunate that my dad worked from nothing to create passive income for me so that I had it coming in at, at early ages. But, you know, to give myself credit, which I don't do a lot, I didn't, I didn't mess it up. You know, a lot of people take it and you know, they want all these stuff. And I, I'm not really that into that. Uh, I just want to create the same legacy that my dad did for me for my kids. Uh, and I also want to enjoy it. So it's just created a freedom in me that I want to give to my children that my dad gave to me. Um, nothing can feel better as a person than feeling just free to make the choices instead of like being stuck in the grind. All of us who've been in the grind don't want to be in the grind. So it's, it's just a, it's a portal to freedom for me. Perfect. Perfect, man. This has been incredible. Really appreciate you coming on today. Where can our listeners find out more about you? 
Yeah, and I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. I love the podcast. And I think it's really important to give people these kind of like quasi opportunities to learn more and understand that passive income be a lot of different things, you know, a lot of different things. Um, so my personal stuff on Instagram, I'm at Trust Green. Green has an E at the end. My hub website, which has a bunch of my writing and all speaking engagements is uh, trustgreen with an E at the end.com. Uh, and then my real estate team and portal is streamlined with a D dot properties. Um, and the rest of the stuff you can find me all over, but those are the ones where you'll find me. And we have a real estate Instagram is streamlined uh, properties at streamlined properties as well. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, podcasts are so important. I think they're such a great way for people to be able to be on the move, but also put good information in their brain. So uh, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, enjoyed the conversation a lot. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. What a story. I really enjoyed that conversation with Jonathan, and I hope you did too. I love how thoughtful and introspective he is. Um, I'm trying to do a little bit better myself with that. And he can probably give the most interesting man in the world a run for his money. Major key, keep a close eye on yourself. Every once in a while, stop worrying about everyone else, about money, about your job, and just make sure you're good. You're present, enjoying your life, and enjoying good company. All right. If you're feeling inspired today, reach out to me. Let's jump on a call. Talk about your goals. Talk about building some alternative passive income streams. I'll drop my scheduling link in the show notes. Until next time, kiddos, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.